okay? Amen? Amen. So let's jump in. Over the last few weeks, we've been, man, taking a slow walk through the book of a Bible called Jonah. Say Jonah. And uh, I don't know about you, but it has definitely been rocking me. And here's a big picture of what you and I will see as we work our way through the book of Jonah. We're still in chapter one. We're going to finish that up here uh, tonight. But um, here's kind of a quick kind of overview and outline, okay, of the book of Jonah. In Jonah chapter one, what you find is there's a brother named Jonah, duh, okay, who runs from God. In Jonah chapter 2, which you will discover, we're going to discover is, starting next week, is Jonah, he runs to God instead of away from God. In Jonah chapter 3, what we'll discover is, is that Jonah, he runs for God. I'm sorry, I'll use my education, okay? Jonah runs for God. Oh, there you go, okay? And in Jonah chapter 4, what we will discover once we get there is uh, that Jonah, he runs into God. So Jonah runs from God in chapter 1. Jonah chapter 2, Jonah runs to God. In Jonah chapter 3, Jonah runs for God. And in Jonah chapter 4, Jonah, this brother, he runs into God. It's kind of a crazy way for the book to end, and we'll get there when we get there, okay? And here's what we had discovered so far, in case you're just catching up, or if you're like me, you can be forgetful. Here is what we have discovered so far as we work our way through through the book of Jonah is first of all God calls Jonah to go to a place called Nineveh Jonah just says no he says nah I ain't going I ain't got time for that okay Jonah he runs from God's call and here's another thing we discovered as we've walked through this book called Jonah every single last one of us in this room we have a little Jonah on the inside of us because on a heart level, all of us on a heart level, at some point in our life, we have run from God. Confession, by the way, it is good for the soul, hard for the reputation. How many of you would be honest and join me tonight and say, Jay, there's been a time in my life where I have run from God. Come on, raise your hand. Look around. Look at all those runners in the room. You see that? You are not alone. All of us in the room, we have run from God. We've discovered you can run from God, but you can never outrun God. Some of you, you are incredible runners. I, I mean, if, if, I, if I said, man, let's, let's, I want to race you real quick, okay, outside, you know, some of you are like, man, Jay, I'm telling you, I will dust you, all right? I'm telling you, I promise you, I will run circles around you. There's one person that you and I, no matter how fast we can run, we could never outrun, and his name is God. Here's the other thing that we have discovered that when we run from God, we run to some strange places. We run to some pretty strange places when we run from God. Jonah, instead of him going, man, to Nineveh, he runs 2,500 miles away, okay, to a place called Tarshish, gets on a boat, goes to the lower part of the boat, falls asleep on this boat. Pretty crazy we run to some strange places. And we discovered the last time that we were in Jonah that most of us, okay, when we are running from God, we run to our lowercase g, God, just as our brother Brent then shared even tonight. We also discovered that when we run from him, it is only a downward spiral when you run from God. We discovered as Jonah ran, the Bible says that he went he went down, 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 down. It is a demotion, not a promotion, okay, when we run from God. And while this brother is sleeping, there was a storm that arose, okay, on the water, and there were some sailors that were there, and this must have been a pretty bad storm because if you're a sailor, that means you have been in the water before, 
But they were, they were panicking, according to what we see in Jonah. They, they, were, they were, man, getting pretty shaken up on the boat. And, and, and uh, Jonah, this brother, he's asleep. What we discovered is, is that God will disrupt your comfort to show you your dysfunction when you run from God. God will disrupt your comfort to show you your dysfunction. And so, after trying all they could try, man, to make the, the storm to calm down, they finally went to Jonah and said, Brother, wake up! Get up! There's a storm going on! What are you doing? Sleep. And this is where we pick up the story in Jonah chapter 1, verse 7. Here's what it says. And what I'm going to do is we're going to read a little bit, and then we'll make a couple of notes. We'll read a, a, a little bit more, make a couple of notes, and then there's really one, man, bottom line that I have for us tonight that I want us to kind of rally behind. Jonah 1, verse 7, it says this, Then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods, which of them it caused this, this terrible storm, he says, when they did this, the lot identified Jonah as the culprit. Then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and called a terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified, who was it? Jonah. Somebody say Jonah. Oh, they identified Jonah as the culprit. This brother, he was guilty. I want you to just kind of note this real, real quick. First of all, casting lots is not something that we use in our vernacular. It's not something that we use, okay, in everyday conversation. But casting lots was kind of like rolling dice, okay? It was a secular way of finding out, okay, where the sin was in the camp. And for them, on the ship. This sin, and this very moment, whoever was the sinner on the boat, it was affecting everybody on the boat. And God used uh, this form, this secular form, okay, of casting lots to reveal who was responsible for the storm. The sailors were like, somebody, sin, is affecting all of us, and we need to discover who that person is. It's a great note, by the way, to put down. When I run from God, when I'm living in disobedience, my disobedience doesn't only affect me. Or you could even say it this way. You can write this down. You may sin privately, but it affects people publicly. You may sin privately. You may think, man, I'm good. I'm doing this all alone, all, all in the dark, all in the secrecy. It's a private sin. You may sin privately. And Jay Sanders may sin privately, but it will have an effect on people around you publicly. It will take time. It may take some time. But eventually, it will have an impact on those who are around you, your family, your friends, your co-workers. It will have an effect. And as the lot falls on Jonah, it is clear he, this brother, is the reason for the storm. Here's what they say to him in verses 8 and 9 of Jonah chapter 1. Why has this awful storm come down on us, they demanded. Who are you? It's a good question. What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? Verse 9, Jonah answered. Oh, this is the first time we hear from Jonah, by the way. And here's what he says. I am a Hebrew. And I worship the Lord. Really? The God of heaven who made the sea and the land. Let's make a note here real quickly. Instead of Jonah, by the way, having a repentant disposition. He pridefully in this moment communicates 
who his ethnic identity is here when he says, I'm a Hebrew. I'm a Hebrew. And in so many words, what he was trying to really communicate was, I am better than y'all. Now, do you think they really care that he was a Hebrew like that? I don't think they care. But he said, I'm a Hebrew. This is the first time we hear from Jonah in his rebellious run. And this is the first thing that he says. I'm a Hebrew. And even now we can see as we listen and watch Jonah's response that he is more concerned about himself, more concerned about how others perceive him, how he is, how he is viewed before men versus how he is viewed before God. But remember, all of us have a little Jonah on the inside of us. And Jonah isn't by himself. Because we can be the same way where we sometimes get way more concerned about what other people think about us, how other people perceive us, than how God views us and what he thinks about us. This is what happens a lot of times in, in disobedience as we become numb to what is important to God to embrace only what is important to us. Here's how the story continues in Jonah chapter 1, verse 10. Jonah 1, verse 10, the sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. And ask them a question. This is also a good question. These, these, these folks are some good question askers. They, they ask him, oh, why did you do it? They groaned, Scripture says. I love how it says that. Why did you do it? They groaned. They are asking, listen, brother, let me talk to you for a, for a minute. This is my version, okay? Let, let, me just, let me just ask you for a minute. If you knew that fleeing from the Lord would cause this type of retribution for your disposition towards you being disobedient towards God, then why would you bring us into the equation of your disobedience? Let's make a couple of observations here real quickly. Look at verses 8 through 10, a couple of observations. The first thing, by the way, that Jonah says is, I am a Hebrew. And in this statement, Jonah exhibits pride, masking his need for God. I fear the Lord, he says. Jonah answers theologically without application. I want you to lean in and listen to what I'm saying here. It's pretty, pretty interesting. I, I, I fear the Lord. Oh, he knows a lot about God <laughs> without any application. The God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Despite knowing his God, Jonah continues to run from the ruler of creation. Jonah has all of the right answers, but his actions do not reflect a true belief in what he claimed. Do you know a person like that? Now, don't point any fingers in the room, okay? You ever met a person like that? Maybe if you're honest, you'll say, sometimes that's me. There was an 18-inch disconnection between his head and his heart. By the way, there are 18 inches between here and here. So you're like, I'm pretty tall, 18 inches. There was this disconnection between his head and his heart. His head was filled with knowledge about God, but his heart was far from him. Can we talk just for a moment? Is that possible? 
Come on, lean in and look at me. I want you to respond to me, okay? Is it possible for your head to be filled with a lot of knowledge about God and yet your heart be very far away from God? Is that possible? Yes. And if you aren't shaking your head, we'll just all answer for you. Yes. It is very possible you may be the one that's sitting in the room. You love to debate. You love, oh man, you love having a lot of knowledge man, about Scripture, but there's no fruit in your life. You lack compassion and you lack love because all you really care about is the pride of really just knowing about God. Now, don't get it twisted. When we come to know God, we aren't called to check our brain at the door, but our heart ought to follow. Our actions ought to follow what we know about God. I know a lot of folks, man, when it comes to apologetics, oh, they can run circles around you. Oh, they know, man, a lot about the Bible. They can quote off verses like that. But if you were to ask them, when is the last time you shared the gospel with somebody, they couldn't tell you. When is the last time you, instead of singing you were available to God, you actually made yourself available to God? And you did it, what he called you to do. Oh, Jonah, he was there, but we can too. And belief and response are inseparable. There will always be a level, by the way, of inconsistency in all of our life. All of us have some hypocrisy on the inside of us, starting with J. Sanders first. But none of us, none of us walk in perfect obedience. There will always be a level of inconsistency, but our awareness of those inconsistencies should motivate us toward repentance rather than resignation. And it shouldn't be an excuse where you say, but I'm not perfect. Of course, there's going to be some, some hypocrisy. No, 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 no. In those moments, man, when we know that we have blown it, we are called to confess our sin. And the Bible says when you confess your sin, what will we find from God? That he is faithful and what else? Just to forgive us of our sins and do what else? Cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. So despite knowing his God, he wasn't really living for him. Does that describe some of your lives here tonight? Then the next question they end up asking in Jonah chapter 1 verse 11, and they said this, and since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to stop this storm? It's a good question. Another good question. I like these folks. As time is going along, God is not turning down the storm. No, he's turning the storm up. The storm is getting wilder and wilder and wilder and wilder. He is putting pressure on the ship. He's committed to exposing Jonah's sin. Why? For what? For the purpose of drawing him back to himself. If you run from God, you can never win. He, he will do whatever it takes to get you and I to tap out. He will do whatever it takes to wake us up from our sleeping slumber, just like Jonah. Jonah chapter 1, verse 12, he says, Jonah says, Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. Now listen, Jonah, he could have jumped the ship. He could have just chosen and said, you know what? Y'all, I'm sorry. Let me just jump real quick. But instead of that, 
It also shows you, I just thought about this, how selfish he is. He's making them do it for him. And so that he doesn't die by, by killing himself. No, he wants them to be responsible for killing him. So he says, y'all, throw me overboard. Throw me overboard, and it'll be good. In verse 13, instead, the sailors rowed even harder to get the ship to land. But the stormy sea was too violent for them, and they couldn't make it. They were like, man, this brother's crazy. Throw him overboard? No, man. Let's just try to roll this thing a little bit harder. Certainly things will calm down. But it says the stormy sea was too violent for them. They couldn't make it. Note this. These sailors were rowing against the storm. They weren't rowing against the storm. They were rowing against God. And you and I could never win when we were rowing against God. And you see that these people who are not from Israel have more regard for Jonah's life than he has for his life. Isn't that interesting? These pagan polytheistic people have more regard for Jonah's life than he has for his life. This is a wild contrast. He is supposed to be the one that has compassion and passion for the lives of people who are in need of God's truth. Yet, here we are. Knows a lot about God. But there's not a lot of action. Verse 14, then they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. Jonah's God. That's interesting. Because before they cried out to their lowercase g God, now it says they cried out to the Lord, all capital, L-O-R-D. Jonah's God, oh Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin and don't hold us responsible for his death. Oh Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reason. Isn't this interesting? Note this, before Jonah prays, they pray. Before Jonah ever, man, parts his word in prayer, they pray. And they're not even calling on their own Lord Casey's God because they know their God can't come through for them. They've already tried it, and he's not coming through. Their gods are powerless. So they also have seen how powerful God is. And so they're calling on, it says, Jonah's God, who has all authority man, over this storm. Let's contrast this again real quickly. Jonah's character with that of the sailors. As we began to kind of wrap this thing up. Here's the first thing. Jonah, in 1 verse 10, shows no reverence for God while the sailors exhibit legitimate fear. In verses 12 and 13, Jonah has no value for his life while the sailors, they try to spare this brother's life. It's interesting. In, in Jonah, chapter 1 verse 14, Jonah does not pray to God, but the sailors, they cry out. God. Jonah is thrown overboard, we eventually discover, in verses 15 and 16, and the sailor, the sailors sacrifice and make vows to capital G, God. It's interesting. Look what happens in verse 15 and 16. Then the sailors picked Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea. 
And notice what happens. And the storm stopped at once. Then the sailors picked Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea. And what happened? And the storm stopped at once. You know what's interesting about this? And this really is our bottom line for tonight. The sea stops raging when we stop running. The sea stops raging when we stop running. You cannot and I cannot stop a storm in my own strength or your own strength. There are some storms that we are responsible for. This is one of them. This is where Jonah, he finds himself. There are two things, by the way, that normally happens. If you are a mature Christian and you're experiencing a storm, not every storm is because of your doing. Some storms God just allows to happen in your life. My encouragement to you tonight would be stay faithful. God is in control of that storm. And storms, they do pass. God has a purpose for every storm he brings into our life. Here's the second thing. If you are walking in disobedience from God, the storm has been caused because of your disobedience. God is still, he's in control. So how do you stop a storm? How do you stop, man, this kind of storm if I'm living in my rebellion, Jay? You stop the storm when you stop running. You stop this kind of storm when you stop running. You have the choice. And no one else can make that choice for you. I can't do that. Your family group leader can't do that. Your mama and your daddy can't do that. I'm sorry. Your mother or your father, they can't do it. Your ma and your pa. You have to make the decision on your own. God's not going to force you. You have to come to a place where you say, God, I get it. I'll stop. In verse 16 of Jonah chapter 1, it says this, The sailors were all struck by the Lord's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. This is interesting. These folks who were polytheistic, who served many gods, now they are all struck by God, the Lord. There is there's a fear that's there. Not like a fear like this is a boogeyman, but a reverential fear. Recognizing that this God, he's in the category all by himself. And the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Here's what you can always guarantee, real quick. You can guarantee that every time you disobey God, a storm is waiting some of you are like, man, I slept so good last night, but every time I get up, I'm tired. It's possible because you've been running from God. Maybe the Lord brought you here tonight to say, you done yet? My sister, you finished yet? You fooled everybody. Everybody on the outside. You singing the songs. You look good. You know the verses. Your mind, man, it's filled with theological truths, but your heart is far from me, and you've been running from me. My brother, you finished yet? 
the sea stops raging when we stop running. But it's your choice.